The future of health coaching. Opportunity, action, impact. Brought to you by Teleosis Institute, coaching and narrative healing. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Kreisberg, and welcome to the future of health coaching online. Today, I'm with Jody Herford, and we're going to talk about why motivational interviewing. Jody Herford is a registered nurse, exercise physiologist, and coach with a passion for creating health and care in individual lives. She also works with, within organizations and populations in general. She's a member of the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers, which is called MINT, you'll hear us use that abbreviation, and a past president and master fellow of the American Association of Cardiovascular and Pulmonary Rehabilitation. She's also the principal of Hereford Consulting Group, so Jody works with individuals and with organizations as developed programs, so I'm really excited to have a conversation with Jody. Jody, welcome. Thank you so much, Joel. It is great to be here and really excited to talk about one of my passions, which is motivational interviewing. So thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And so I really want to, you know, give you some space to sort of share with us your passion because I really love it. So, you know, how did you get so interested in, in motivational interviewing? That's a great question. So as you mentioned, you know, my background is in, in nursing, which was my, my first degree and really with that passion for understanding the, the pathophysiology of disease and, and especially chronic illness, and really had an interest and started very early in life in much more, not so much of how we treat sick individuals, but how is it that we really look at prevention and keep individuals healthy. So yeah. went back for my, my master's in exercise physiology, which is more the understanding of the physiology of health. So those two had a real natural meeting, and with the serendipity and synchronicity of life, I found my way to cardiac rehabilitation, which was an incredible opportunity. Had a number of different stops along the way with some different professions and um, prevention-type um, programs, but really found my way to cardiac rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I saw folks, and it was really my first experience in saying, Hmm. I wonder if there's a different way to do this because mm -hmm. we would talk with people in the hospital and when we'd see them in cardiac rehabilitation, number one, they wouldn't remember us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember anything that we taught. So how is it that we better engage people? So it had been a quest for quite quite some time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so somewhere along the way, did you how where did you bump into motivational interviewing? Because clearly you were looking, is what they're saying. Exactly, exactly. So my work then really formed into prevention and the prevention continuum, not so much in primary prevention, but really into secondary and tertiary. And I've recently heard a new word of quaternary prevention, wow. working with the sickest of the sick, those that I would see that had pretty significant severe heart failure. Mm -hmm. And it's understanding that everybody has some degree of health and everybody is really moving towards those things that they really want to have and to be able to do in their life. Mm -hmm. So that's where I cross paths with Margaret Moore and, mm -hmm. and Well Coaches uh, okay. and had a great opportunity to, to take the Well Coaches training. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Up and went through that and realized, ah, I've, I've really found what I'm, what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. It's this different way of having conversation because one of the things that we say in motivational interviewing is that the way we talk with people about their health substantially impacts their, their motivation and their abilities to, to make choices and, and to change. Right, actually, so what you're describing is, is this how the, the practitioner frames and talks, their language and how they show up has a big impact on the actual client's ability to change and their outcomes. Exactly. And it's interesting because I just taught a two-day course in motivational interviewing and we titled it Words Matter. Mm, and nice. words matter mm. and words matter and how we engage with people absolutely matters. Yeah, that's why, I mean, we, we here at Teleosis, we call it narrative. Stories matter, and I like that words matter. 
And so you went from you went from coaching, but along the way, oh, so you studied coaching. I mean, that's what well coaches did. But motivational interviewing is now. This is where often folks get confused. It, it's it's a technique. Is it theory? Is it both? How does it relate? So let's just get the technical. <laughs> and that's such a great question because I think there are a few different things in there to unpack. One yeah. being. What is motivational interviewing? Whoever came up with it, why did they title it that? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of kind of confusing. Mm -hmm. So the way I moved from health coaching and much more of a deeper dive into motivational interviewing was I had the opportunity to design, develop, and be faculty member for what was known as the, the clinical health coaching program. Ah, okay. And it was out of a small nonprofit actually based in Des Moines, Iowa that really looked at the transformation of healthcare and what we're being challenged with in healthcare with changing environments. And we really looked at it as both the transformation of care and the way we provide care, mm -hmm. along with the second or dual technology of transform the conversation. Mm -hmm. So in that is where I met um, my mentor for mm -hmm. motivational interviewing, Dr. Denise Ern. Mm -hmm. And Denise is out of Portland, Oregon, mm -hmm. and we met at a couple of different medical meetings mm -hmm. where she was teaching and talking about motivational interviewing. Mm -hmm. So for me, it really filled that niche of what we're looking for in healthcare. So if you break the words down, mm -hmm. motivational interviewing, mm -hmm. first let's start with the interviewing piece of it. Mm -hmm. And if we think about interviewing as being a very respectful curiosity, mm -hmm. okay, that it's, it's um, an uncovering, it's a discovering, and it's not only myself uncovering and discovering about the other person, sometimes it's them discovering and understanding a little bit more about themselves. Mm -hmm. So we think about those people who are great interviewers. Mm -hmm. you're, you're modeling those great behaviors through <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of good reflective listening. Mm -hmm. That continues the conversation. But I think about this respectful kind of curiosity as to who are you? Who is this person to help them discover a little bit more? So it's not the interrogation, the inquisition, the investigation. It's a respectful, it's a respectful curiosity. Mm -hmm. Now the other component, that motivational piece, is that discovery of that person's motivation. Mm -hmm. In other cases, people will make the mistake that. I'm supposed to motivate this person by what I'm saying. Mm. That's the, the real nice whew, setting down a motivational interviewing is it's not my job to motivate you. My work is helping you to understand what matters to you. Mm. What is it that you want in your life? And how is it that we might see some incongruency in your behaviors and really what it is that you want in your life and then be able to guide the conversation towards those those things so i always like to think about motivational interviewing it's a way to have a conversation around change mm -hmm. it's not about getting someone to change it's right. a conversation to make you change yeah. well which is interesting because i mean we there is motivation which is to motivate through you know getting people excited but that's not the way you're using the word motivation right you're using the motivation in through the way that I show up and have the, the client, I'm going to keep using the word client, but it could be patient. We sort of use those interchangeably. Through reflecting and hearing and understanding, we allow the client to begin to access their own motivation for change. And then you also said, and I'm, I'm summarizing, which is one of the techniques I know, is this: there's this gap between how we are and what we'd like to become. Right, and by having a, the 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 coach or the interviewer, you know, help me see that gap in some way, that I can step into that gap, and that can motivate me to make changes or help me identify what's going to need to happen in some way. Exactly, you said it so well. It's really tapping into that person's motivation. And sometimes, especially when I'm working with individuals that have been chronically ill and chronically ill for a long, long time, 
tapping into that motivation takes some some time. And just like health coaching, motivational interviewing is very much strengths-based. Mm-hmm. So we're really looking at, you know, what is their motivation, what matters, and as well, what are what are their strengths? Mm-hmm. What, I, what I really appreciate about what you're describing is you keep you keep, you keep bringing back to clinical care, which is one of the things that I'm I'm interested in. And, and the coaching program that you developed in in, in Iowa, because I, I know the program was was about you know transforming care is what you described. So the work is about how do we we we, we deliver care. How do we, it's not transforming patients. The assumption is if we transform care, that will have clinical outcomes that are positive, right? And that's a, a really important, uh, you know, place to be working right now. And so uh, I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk with you and hear about it. So this, you know, motivational interviewing is, a, is within the context of your work at really helping people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And helping the way you know medicine is is actually making change. Exactly, and boy, talk about a perfect environment for motivational interviewing because healthcare is living through change. Change. Absolutely, right. And so, what's so great is it's such a non-technological approach, <laughs> and so it's lovely that way. So we kind of think about it as high touch, just like like health coaching. It's high mm-hmm. touch and sometimes a very technical type of a, of a world. So when I was talking earlier about mm-hmm. the, the clinical health coach program, what we saw was really transform the care, transform the conversation. Because unless we've designed systems that allow for these types of, of conversations and that care is set up to, to be able to engage and activate individuals in their own health, we don't have a chance. So we can't just have the conversation without the transformation and care, and you can't just have the transformation and care without changing the way we interact with, with individuals. Right. So then, therefore, you model it in the way that you teach it, and you teach it as a skill so that the, the folks who you're working with, the clinicians, we'll call them at different levels, from coaches all the way to practice, you know, to, to health professionals, they're all health professionals, they now have that skill. So I guess the question that comes up for me is, is uh, you know, how, pick that particular project of developing that program, I mean, was the, what was the response in the more traditional clinical environments to your work, or what is the response? Yeah, I mean, and what I see both in that program and now doing a lot of teaching of, of motivational interviewing in healthcare mm-hmm. is, and the ones that I just finished teaching this past weekend was just really this, this um, we, we hear a lot about joy in work mm-hmm. and people who are working, especially with individuals living with chronic illness and that ability to effectively have conversations around change. Because what we're seeing in healthcare and the changes that are happening in healthcare are really shifting our payment models. You know, we know that um, the U.S. has some of the highest cost healthcare we a lot of cases think we have the best outcomes, but sadly our outcomes really fall quite low yeah, in, in comparative. And what we're really good at is, is spending money. So not only the federal government, but other payers are saying, it's not sustainable, we can no longer do it this way. Mm-hmm. And if we look at, at what I used to call the 80-80-80 rule, and the 80-80-80 rule says that 80% of our dollars are spent on chronic illness. Mm-hmm. 80% of those dollars are spent on high-cost care, hospitalizations, mm-hmm. intensive care, mm-hmm. unnecessary physician office visits. Mm-hmm. And we also know that the third 80, and it's probably more around 99%, most care is self-care. Mm-hmm. Most care happens outside the four walls of the, the hospital or the physician office. Mm-hmm. Most care, especially when we look at chronic illness, is the decisions that that person makes about their medical care, their yes. medical treatment, their right. regimen, and how they're treating themselves. Right. So until and unless we begin engaging and activating people in their own health and helping them to see the value, we have no chance at bending the cost nor outcome curve. Right. So that's why we're beginning to see such a strong, strong interest mm-hmm. in motivational interviewing. Well, that makes total sense. Actually, I really appreciate the way you described that because then, I mean, the clinical encounter doesn't include much 
in terms of self-care, except for maybe, do you understand what you're supposed to do, <laughs> right? That which we think of as the, as the sort of the download, educating the, the patient, so to speak. My, my wife's a family physician, so we have this conversation a lot. Uh, but I, I, I like the way you, you, you strung those together because it, the, the feeling is, is that the, the medical system has to make sure you are diagnosed and you have the proper treatment protocol. But what you're saying is, but the bottom line is in the end, what the client, what the patient's going to do is going to have the biggest outcome, right? And we, that's what we spend the least amount of time on, except maybe delivering the news. Exactly. So kind of the shift is that the patient now becomes probably the biggest untapped resource in healthcare. Mm, we, we've done an incredible amount on, on technology and certainly improving care and certainly what we're able to deliver. And again, I, I really look at our untapped resource because how that person takes care of themselves when they're not in the physician office or in the hospital absolutely impacts um, care. I look at it with our, our, our heart failure individuals. Mm -hmm. If you really look at the failure and heart failure, I, and and I, I, I would educate my patients. I'd tell them exactly what it was that they needed to know, needed to know. Yeah. And then ask that same question you just said, do you, do you understand? Do you have any questions? And they're like, yeah. no, I understand. No questions here. And you'd see them back in the ER, back in the hospital. And it's like, well, I didn't feel well, so I was, I was eating my chicken soup for a week. And you're right. like, ah! <laughs> right. So how is it that we shift these conversations? Because... Um, as, as um, Dr. David Nash will say, out of the Jefferson School of, of Public Health, or mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Population Health out in Philadelphia, okay, yeah. he says, um, outcome is income. You know, no outcome, no income. And the way our payment models have shifted to pay for success, mm -hmm. pay for really value, mm -hmm. We, we don't have a chance of being successful until and unless. But the other thing is, is that the experience both by the clinician, mm -hmm. and by the participant or patient or client, mm -hmm. is just such a more engaging and collaborative right. conversation right. as opposed to me telling you what to do. Right. Well, and, and now, and so that's, that, that's why you're seeing such a rapid growth of health coaching. Because, you know, so, you know, health coaches become kind of the add on into the system because the clinician doesn't have much time to, you know, in there and the billable rate for the physician versus the health coach. So, so that was my question is, is so, so, so who, are you, who, who do you end up training? I mean, I know it's a variety, but who, 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 where do you end up going to, to teach motivational interviewing? Well, and Joel, you bring up such a great point because that's exactly that transformation of care is that mm -hmm. we want people practicing at the tops of their, their licenses. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, certainly physicians are, can be and, and are great at motivational interviewing, but when we look at it from a time and dollar perspective, mm -hmm. we don't want the physician, we want the doctor doing doctor things, as, as right. we like to say. And so we see it as this transformation of the medical home and that patient-centered mm -hmm. medical home model mm -hmm. that is is really coming about mm -hmm. and a very large component of the PCMA to that patient-centered medical home is that collaboration and patient-centeredness and it shows up in our, our conversations right. so I've had folks um, all the way from um, medical directors of, of large services that, mm -hmm. that are in because they have such a commitment to it that maybe they're not going to be the ones having the conversation but they really want to understand and know what it is that they're asking their, their staff to do. Right. And the other thing about motivational interviewing that I really like and, and the reason we're starting to see it so much in, in healthcare is that it can be learned by, by anyone. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. with a desire and it's like health coaching. Right. You know, right. It's not the degree after the commas in your name. It's that, that ability to be with another and have those, those vital conversations. Right. You know, we're starting to see a lot of medical assistants. We're starting to see a lot of nurses um, in this past um, training that I did. And as well, I've got an upcoming one in another week. A lot of uh, certified diabetic educators, heart failure clinics. So folks where behavior change is significant. Right. So what I hear then, it makes sense is that, I mean, pretty much it has value all across the, the sort of hierarchy of healthcare. 
And at the same time, the, those who are more in direct contact with the, the patients are the one that most utilize the skills in a way that's going to benefit outcome. So, you know, so what you're describing, not everyone will know what patient medical home is, but, um, you know, it is a new model for collaborative care. So rather than having the physician solely responsible for the patient, you sort of create a, a, a collection of folks. I know my, my wife's in primary care and they, they're one of the, 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 they're a medical home test site, so to speak. And so it's amazing how, how important the pharmacist can be, how important the MA can be, how important the caseworker. I mean, there's a variety of practitioners. And so what you just suggested is that they all can use motivational interviewing in, in their way, right, in some way along the way. Exactly. And that whole notion of team-based care that we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. you know, that, that you want people to be doing what their, their skill set is. So um, really looking at these, these conversations and pharmacy is, is significant. You know, we know the impact of, of medications and we also know that less than 50% of medications are taken and less than that um, are, are ever refilled. So that absolutely and significantly predicts outcome. Right. Well, this is once again where you're able to have a conversation about the, the, the general population of the, uh, that's in the disease care. I mean, I don't mean that term to, to characterize it, but if someone is diabetic, then they're on a certain amount of, of, of medication to begin with. And then yet that doesn't mean they're not going to get sick and have other issues going on. Mm -hmm. So motivation to understand how to take care of oneself, understand to be motivated to, to, to live as healthy of a life will, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean the drugs are going to get gone, be gone. It just means that you're going to get better results. Well, we really look at it as that whole collection from, you know, adherence to a medical regimen, mm -hmm. you know, looking at medications, looking at self-monitoring, looking at what they need to do um, to take care of that particular illness that they might be living with, along with those lifestyle and behavior choices and, and changes that are going to get them to what it is that, that motivates them. What it is that they motivate, that, that is, that's the easy one. What it is that they motivate, motivates them. So actually, it's, it, maybe it's a good time to introduce, you know, one of the simplest, uh, uh, you know, motivational interviewing sort of, you know, models or, or, or languages. That, and I don't know if you use this language, the ORs, the, you know, asking. Can you tell us, can you just give us the quick kind of talk through that? <laughs> exactly, because I think when people think about motivational interviewing, they think about the oars. And one of the things that I love about motivational interviewing is it has what I like to call both the, the being skills and the doing skills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The being skills are really the way we be with people. Mm -hmm. And it's a way of being along with the skills that help to guide a conversation. Mm -hmm. So the doing skills of the oars is mm -hmm folks have, have heard is an acronym. The O is, is open-ended questions. Mm -hmm. We work to shape our conversations to stay away from the do you, are you, will you, can you mm -hmm. types of questions which are closed to ones that are more evocative and get mm -hmm. the person to think a little deeper and to access what, what matters to them. The A um, is, is affirmation. Mm -hmm. Affirmation is just such a key piece of motivational interviewing because it taps in and acknowledges a person's strengths. Mm -hmm. And it's so unusual for us in healthcare to have someone acknowledge strength, effort, accomplishment, what their skill um, might, might be. We can be a little condescending at times and say, great work, good job, way to go, keep it up. But what about a simple... Thanks for coming in today. I know it took some effort. Yeah. And so drawing on those strengths, the R is, is reflective listening. Mm -hmm. And boy, if there's one skill that is, is key in motivational interviewing, it's the, the reflective listening. And that's the two part. We've got to train our ears to listen a little bit differently and listen for those signs of strength. Listen for change talk, which is another real important component of uh, motivational interviewing. Mm -hmm. and, and it's reflect, reflect, reflect the way to mm -hmm. keep that conversation moving forward. Mm -hmm. you've, you've so demonstrated in a number of different exchanges here, the reflective listening and as well the, the summaries. Mm -hmm. 
So a way to kind of have a shifting direction in a conversation and as well really try and we, we, we try to think about it as, as picking a bouquet in that what we're listening for in someone's conversation are those things that they want, are those things that they desire. Mm-hmm. And we're very, very selective in what we reflect and summarize back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, the, it was interesting because as I mentioned, I was just teaching this in one of my classes. I mean, and I'm not formally teaching it. I'm introducing the, you know, my students to it. So if they want to go study it some more. And, and we really, um, you know, reflective listening is a key coaching component, right? You know, asking powerful questions, beginning awareness. But summarizing wasn't a language that we had used so much. And so I had students just take that that idea of what did I hear you say and mm-hmm. summarizing it. But what you've added, the nuance you added to that is, 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 is it's not just reflecting back what they said. It's actually reflecting back what's going to affirm and focus the conversation toward positive change. Exactly. Right? So it's not the data summary. <laughs> it's no, it's a type of summarizing. It's very selective. Yeah. It's very selective, and it is that training of our ears to really listen for strengths, for mm-hmm. efforts, for where they want to go, because mm-hmm. that is really the significant base of, of motivational interviewing is really working to overcome ambivalence, because that's where we can get, get stuck for a bit of time mm-hmm. in, in our change or not change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so I imagine that, that that particular change comes to some extent from the practitioners also in the way they're being. So you mentioned there's the doing and the being. So this is, I'm segueing, so I'm going to get you to describe what is the, how does a motivational interviewing describe that being that the practitioner brings? And that actually is, is the becoming almost the significant component of motivational interview. Interesting. And as you and I were talking earlier, the way of being is sometimes described as either the style or the spirit of, of motivational interviewing. Mm-hmm. And so the spirit of in motivational interviewing and, and Dr. Miller and Dr. Rolnick will really describe it as, you know, when they, they first started teaching it, they really focused on the oars. They really focused on those skills of the questions and the affirmations. And the reflections and the summaries. And what they realized is that they were probably just teaching the words to music. They were just teaching the lyrics. Yeah. But the music comes in with the spirit. Mm-hmm. And the spirit also, the way they describe spirit, there are a number of different ways to, to describe it. But there are really four components, one being more of a way to evoke or what we call evocation. Mm-hmm. And that's a drawing out as opposed to really trying to push in or to instill knowledge, mm-hmm. really working to pull out of that individual. Mm-hmm. So that the, the evocation, we have also the, the acceptance and the autonomy. A lot of the work of motivational interviewing is based on the work of Carl Rogers, a 20th century mm-hmm. uh, psychologist who really developed so much in the whole arena of patient or participant or client-centered care. Mm-hmm. which is a huge component of us and, and what we do in, in healthcare now. And to really look at the fact that the, the patient has the right to make his or her own decisions mm-hmm. about healthcare. Mm-hmm. Nice. We yeah. sometimes thought we had the power to, to tell them, but it's really about that self-determination, that autonomy, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and personal choice. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that Roger says in there around that acceptance and autonomy is that Given the right conditions, people will always move towards health. Mm-hmm. Paraphrasing a bit there, but what are those conditions that we can provide in our conversations that break down the barriers for people to move towards, towards health? Mm-hmm. Another piece of that spirit is, is partnership or collaboration. Mm-hmm. And this might be a little bit different than health coaching where we really come in a collaborative spirit. Mm-hmm. But we also feel in motivational interviewing that that partnership or collaboration is, is so key that the person brings their wisdom. But as well, I as a health coach also have that opportunity to share with them the information that I've, I've learned. Mm-hmm. So it also has to do with how we share that information yes. as opposed yeah. to yeah. what. Yeah. 
And then the final piece of that spirit that really sets motivational interviewing and as well health coaching apart is that piece of compassion. Mm-hmm. Because um, Bill Miller will say you can have the, those first parts on evocation and partnership and collaboration and autonomy and be a really good salesperson. And well, there's nothing wrong with being a salesperson, where we come from in motivational interviewing is that compassion piece that says, we have the best interests of the other at heart. I'm really mm. in service to that other individual. Mm. Which That's is beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, I, I, I real and I, I, I like the movement through it. And so then the oars where we started is so much more powerful because you're saying, well, no, it's in the context of evoking accepting, collaborating, and having that fundamental compassion. So the spirit really is key. So it's interesting to hear that that originally, you know, the early form, it wasn't, you know, they had to discover how important that was. You know, and I think that is is such an interesting thing about motivational interviewing too, because we're, we're all learning mm. motivational interviewing. Mm. I've never talked to anybody who says they've learned motivational interviewing, including Dr. Miller and Dr. Volnick, mm-hmm. they say that their practice of MI is really continues to deepen their skills, both mm-hmm. the being and as well the, the, the doing. Mm-hmm. So the more they practice, the more they learn. And there've really been some shifts in the way they see it. They didn't just design it and it stayed stagnant. Like health coaching, it continues to grow and, and evolve. Yeah. Which is interesting because, yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here with, uh, with Miller and Rollick's motivate the book right here. In my, and, and it's a rather large, lengthy book. Um, and so obviously it's evolved. And on the one hand, you know, the, the components we're talking about is are, 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 you know, they're, they're straight, they're simple. They take a bunch of practice and learning, but there, it seems like there, it, it, there's sort of grown a certain kind of technicality or, or, or it's gotten kind of, so how does it get to take up so much space? And there's the, the manual I, I also looked at, the, uh, and that was like, wow, there's a lot going on here. So what's, what's happened? Like, how has it gotten? So has it gotten detailed or what's going on? That's, I mean, and that's such a great question, too, because, you know, while we say people are, are continually learning motivational interviewing, and even Dr. Miller and Dr. Rolnick are continuing to learn, I mean, I don't want people coming away going, oh, why bother? It's going to take me an entire lifetime, mm-hmm. you know, to learn. So to deepen the skills certainly takes, takes time. Mm-hmm. But sometimes just as you know, in, in health coaching, sometimes just this simple shift in awareness that by telling people what to do might not be as helpful as helping them to discover what they want to do, how they might go about it, and why they might want to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes those shifts in awareness are, are huge because you can't learn motivational interviewing in a two-day workshop, but you can certainly come away with some substantial skills that you can put to use right away with your participants. Patients the right. well, so then what I hear with that is, is that, you know, the skills give you the opportunity to start to have the experience mm-hmm. and you can utilize the basic skills we just gave. I mean, as I, you know, I mentioned before we got on the call that just the basic ors I, I had students do in dyads and it was a really, it was a, it was a powerful move. And that's not saying, well, now, you know, motivational interviewing, it's like now you've, you, you've, you've worked with one of the skills and you can go learn more and you can deepen it. So perhaps all the, 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 it, this seems like the large amount of material is because there's a lot, you can keep deepening and understanding and growing into more and more depth with it. Yeah, exactly, that you can continue to deepen it. They will always use the analogy of like learning to play a musical instrument. Can you learn to play something beautiful in, in a short amount of time? Yes. And the more that you continue, the richer and, and deeper that gets. However, listening to a child play chopsticks can be an extremely beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. piece of, of music yeah. and, and experience. Right. So like we say, those, those shifts in awareness sometimes are just really huge. Yeah, that makes that, that that's wonderful. So so you, so you're you're a member of the motivational interviewing network of trainers, which we will start to use the abbreviation MINT because <laughs> so, it's a lot of words. And so so that means that you're you're you know you're 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 busy. I mean, how many folks? How big is that network? I mean, how many folks are are doing this? 
And that's another great question because motivational interviewing is, as you know, got its start in the addictions field back in the early 80s mm-hmm. when Dr. Miller and Dr. Rolnick were really looking, both clinical psychologists, that were really taking a look at the way people were treated in addictions along with the, with the outcomes. And part of their understanding was that gosh, you know, we've got to find a better way to to work with individuals. Because when you look at addictions, we've got behaviors that are number one, really important to change. Mm -hmm. And number two, very difficult to change. Mm -hmm. So that's where it got its start um, was was in addictions. But we've Mm -hmm. seen that really grow in the field of practice from not only addictions and psychology, to probation, corrections, to schools, to teaching, to mentoring, to healthcare, mm. to clergy, to it's just a way about having a conversation around change. It's very respectful. Mm-hmm. If there's one constant in our world, it's it's certainly change. So that has grown. And as well, it's in 35 countries, motivationally interviewing, mm-hmm. 20 various languages. So is, it is a worldwide um, network of trainers. Mm-hmm. And the goal and the mission of Mint is really to enhance our practice and our ability to both practice motivational interviewing and as well facilitate the learning in, in motivational interviewing. Mm-hmm. You alluded to it a little bit more this um, earlier in our conversation that mm-hmm. you know one of my goals in facilitating learning and motivational interviewing is doing a lot more modeling than teaching mm-hmm. and it's really helping people to practice and to learn the skills with, mm-hmm. with some shaping right so so that means so i mean you know so you work with individuals so i'm curious back you know cycling back to your own work now um you're you know i've heard that you your design programs in healthcare. you're working in a variety of health you know environments you're teaching motivational interviewing Right. You know, throughout, do you, you know, do you work with individuals? I guess I don't, you know. That's a great, yes, yes, exactly. Because that's where we get that opportunity to, mm-hmm. to practice skills. Mm-hmm. I currently have a wonderful opportunity with a new technology startup that I'm, I'm working with actually out of Palo Alto that's taking a look at more of a mobile app that will help provide cardiac rehabilitation to people who aren't able to attend you know, a traditional bricks and mortar um, program. Mm-hmm. In cardiac rehab, we know we have significant outcomes of improving both morbidity and mortality in people post-heart attack, post-bypass surgery. Um, we, we have significant outcomes now as well for folks living with, with heart disease. Mm-hmm. Only about 20% of individuals who are able to, would, would benefit from cardiac rehab are actually referred, and those numbers go down and down and down to really only about 33 Mm-hmm. of people actually participating in completing cardiac rehab. Wow. So we're in this, um, you know, really this, this way of saying, what are our alternatives for delivering cardiac rehab through a different model? Mm-hmm. So this uses both a phone-based app mm-hmm. along with the technology of a health coach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. we've got people that are using the app to track behaviors, track medications, track what they're doing, how they're eating. Right. Well, then we set up these these monthly, I'm sorry, weekly conversations with the right. individual to to work with them on on behavior change. So it's right. a great opportunity to see right. how we can build these skills into both technology, but as well. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's so. Thank you for sharing that too, because that's where this is going at this stage of the game. So we're seeing more and more coaching, health coaching, motivational interviewing being coupled with this. You know, everybody's got this technology. So, but by itself, the technology will not necessarily motivate the change. Just keeping track of your steps or your, you know, blood pressure or your blood sugar won't necessarily lead to better outcomes. It might, right? But having a human being to have a dialogue about it, to look at that, has a big impact. Significant, because we, we know that. I mean, and that's one of the things with motivational interviewing, certainly with, with health coaching, is that there's, there's a significant um, benefit to that healing relationship yeah. that's formed between a clinician, a provider, um, and, and that, that patient, that they know they've got somebody on their side someone that they can they can talk with 
and is really going to be able to guide that conversation to where we want it to want it to go. Yeah, that, that, it's interesting because once again, that's I made that comment before. It is a non-technological intervention, but it's not getting rid of the technology. It's it's supplementing the technology to be able to have a better outcome. It's that both and. It's not either or. It's both yeah. and. It's yeah. So, so then, you know, motivational interviewing goes well in the clinical setting. It doesn't take the place of the physician, the diagnosis, and, and the medications. It just allows for a better outcome because you're partnering with the patient and the practitioners, right? There's a way that it it, it, it sort of plays both directions. Exactly. And it goes back to what you were describing earlier, Joel, in that team-based care. Mm. That we can't just any longer have, have that, that sole practitioner who provides all care for all people at all times. You know, it was Dr. Bodenheimer out of California that really took a look at, you know, in health coaching and certainly some of the things that he does, you know, of how many hours per day it would take a primary care practitioner with a typical panel of about 2,500 patients to provide the preventive care, the acute care, all of the different things. And it added up to more than 24 hours a day. Right, right. right. (laughs) You know, know, and we also know that people can't come in all the time. People are back at work. And that's what we see in cardiac rehab. People turning to their their daily lives. So how is it that we bring this life-saving technology along with that that human component? Because that human relationship is, is key. Right. And, well, and we are seeing that we, the human relationship can go through the cyberspace through things like this technology that we're using right now. So more and more care is being delivered through video technology, but it still has the human touch to this video technology. <laughs> yes, yeah. and, you know, it, it's not just the data and the outcomes. I'm seeing more and more, you know, um, you know, in the integrative community, you're seeing more and more health coaching being delivered alongside the primary care. You know, you're doing both. I know that the Iowa project that you described is very committed to that that idea of of, of, of giving a, a more team-based approach. Uh, the mainstream, you know, conventional medicine's a, a little slower to to do this, but you're seeing Kaiser's delivering offering a lot of health coaching now as as a benefit in some way. Do you feel that 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 the that the the patients are 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 are, are interested? Are they wanting this? Are they, you know, what's their experience? Yeah, and, and that's real interesting as well. And, and it certainly runs the, runs the gamut. And it depends on that, that relationship. Mm-hmm. But what I've really heard from, from individuals and certainly those uh, that I've had the opportunity to work with, it is such a different way of having a conversation that we also are able to provide our own expertise. I've got a lot of years in, in cardiovascular nursing that, wow. that adds up to things that this person wants to know. However, if I just unload on them with, with education, so they find it very respectful. Mm-hmm. We know that when we look at, at the triple aim in, in healthcare that's mm-hmm. been put forth by IHI, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, mm-hmm. it's improving costs, it's improving quality of mm. care. And that third leg is about the patient experience. Mm. And that is significant. And it used to be, oh, hopefully they feel that they're, they're treated well, but we're beginning to see so much science that really connects and correlates the patient experience along with outcomes. Mm. I feel I'm, I'm treated with respect. Right. And, care. Mm. and the biggest thing is people feel heard. Mm. When you feel hard. We're good in healthcare about interrupting. A typical patient can go on for about, it varies in different studies, but between eight seconds and 12 seconds at the most. Oh my God, I was, I was way off. I was going to say 90 seconds. So, <laughs> okay, I got the wrong ball. seconds. Let's take the outlier. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the, the study shows also that if just left to talk things out, the patient will go for about 90 seconds. That's about mm-hmm. it. I think, oh my gosh, you know, they're going to go on for an hour, but they don't. And through coaching and as well and motivational interviewing, you know, there, we have this opportunity to guide conversation mm-hmm. and to focus it, which is a real mm-hmm. critical component of it. Mm-hmm. So we can pull people back to the focus of why they're there if people mm-hmm. are those that are going to uh, talk for for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. People have a need to feel heard. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they do. And, you know, well, that's certainly why I like coaching, because I like listening. And I also like to be heard. <laughs> and uh, I think we have that. We can relate to that. Yeah. Uh, so, and, But I notice it makes it. I have the luxury because I have a private practice, so I spend lots of time with people. And I, I notice that as a practitioner, it also... Um, you know, it makes for, uh, at the end of my day, I'm not quite as overwhelmed because there's been more space to hear people. So then I feel like there's something reciprocal that goes on. I, I would assume that, that if you're practicing motivational interviewing, you, there's, there, it, it, there's a quality of connection that runs both ways. Exactly, that quality of connection. And as we were talking about earlier, I know I mentioned the triple triple aim, mm-hmm. which is now morphing into the quadruple aim, meaning mm-hmm. we are having the opportunity to decrease healthcare costs, improve outcomes, mm-hmm. certainly look at the patient experience. Mm-hmm. And the fourth component of that is, is this whole idea of joy and work. Mm-hmm. And really looking at burnout, mm-hmm. how much technologically we're asked to be we're, we're being asked to, to accomplish and get done. And really those relationships are what bring the joy back to us as practitioners mm-hmm. and that feeling like we, we really have made a difference. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing about motivational interviewing that I really do like is that a lot of cases people think of either health coaching or motivational interviewing is having to take way too much time. Mm-hmm. And what we see is that motivational interviewing can be very effective in, in small doses. Mm-hmm. Right fit in very easily to, yeah. to brief inner interactions. Mm-hmm. So it's been said in the, in the MI world that if your time is short, it's possibly better to ask that person why they might make a change or how they might do it as opposed to telling them that they should. Mm-hmm. 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 And that's interesting because, yeah, I, I'm not trained, but just my explorations we didn't take, it didn't take long for us to have a positive experience with just using the basic ORS system in a, in a, you know, it was a 10 minute exercise and it was very positive for, for everybody in, in my exactly. class. And, and my, my MI mentor will, will always remind me, our job is just stir the pot, mm-hmm. just stir the pot. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that you see somebody in an interaction go, oh, I get it. I'm going to make that change home and kind of think about it and stew on it. And if we can ask those evocative and powerful questions Mm -hmm. and really help them to think a little bit more. And she would also always remind me that you're never going to hurt anybody by listening. Yeah. And that's what came up for me. And when, when, when you have good listening skills, then there's a way in which there's a continuity when you see that person again, it's, it's gotten in farther into the practitioner. I, I, it's more, I, I, I've heard it versus it get, data gets very superficial when I'm collecting data all day, but when I'm having relationships, I can, yeah. it, it sticks more. If I were, you know, so I'm thinking about the listeners. If I were listeners saying, well, this is really interesting. Uh, what do I do next? So where would I go? How do I study this? What do I do? If I'm, say I'm a health coach. Most of our audience are health coaches. And I go, well, I'm, how do I find out more? Yeah. Well, I mean, there are a lot of different ways to, to find out a little bit more about motivational interviewing. The book that you had just um, held up, um, Dr. Miller and Dr. Rolnick's. Uh, hold it up again. This is the <laughs> third edition of motivational interviewing. Mm-hmm. It's real helpful. And we know, you know, certainly understanding it is different than the practice of it. So finding ways that, that you have a further developing those skills um, on the motivational interviewing website, which is motivational interviewing.org, I believe, um, there are lists of individuals who are offering different courses mm-hmm. in motivational interviewing, anywhere from a two or a three-day introductory all the way to advanced. Mm-hmm. And if someone is a part of, of MINT, of the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers, their skills in really setting up um, and facilitating conferences so that it's focused on practice and skill building as opposed to just lecture are, are real helpful. Mm-hmm. If you find out more information, there's another great book by David Rosengren mm-hmm. called Building Motivational Interviewing Skills. Mm-hmm. And that one is kind of a self-study where mm-hmm. you walk through. So you can do it on your own and write answers or if you're in a team, you know, you can, you can share answers and, and compare and, and grow. But we know um, 
really our skills develop and grow most and best by having a, a MI coach, if you will. Right. So we do a lot of what's called coding and coaching in, in motivational interviewing. Mm-hmm. In that it has a fidelity um, portion to motivational interviewing. It's called the mighty And the MITI is M-I-T-I, is the Motivational Interviewing Treatment Integrity. Mm -hmm. That will listen to a conversation and be able to score it according to MI adherence and consistency. Then to be able to say, gosh, what are your strengths? What are you doing well? How do we build on that? And then what are some simple shifts in the way you're communicating that might help bump those conversations to the next level? Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of us that also provide that, that coding and coaching. And that's mm-hmm. a lot of cases the best way. It's always hard. Right, right. Well, that's what I think that's what I bumped into when I started bumping into the manuals. And I can see why as a study, when one gets deeper into it, then that makes total sense. You get very accurate feedback and that can stimulate change. Well, and that's why we do see it a lot expanding in healthcare is that there, there is a way to look at treatment fidelity. There is a way to measure the consistency, right. the MI adherent behaviors, and to be able to coach um, individuals to, to better adherence um, in, those, in those skills. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's actually very powerful. And I think in the way healthcare works and the need for empirical data, I think that that, that bodes well for, for motivational interviewing to continue to have, have a, you know, its impact of creating change, you know, in the way that care is delivered and the results that care gets. We're coming to our the, sort of near the end of our of our conversation. And, and Jody, it's been wonderful to, you know, your, your, your energy is so lovely. Uh, I, I don't want to keep going. Um, the, I guess the, the question is, you know, so what, where, for you, what do you see down the horizon? What are, is there, is there something, are there new projects or what would you like to see happen for, in your practice, in your world? Well, in my practice in my world is, is probably in our practice and in our world, because mm-hmm. I, I am so grateful to have had that opportunity to be exposed first to health coaching mm-hmm. and then to a deeper dive into motivational interviewing and this way of being, this way of bringing a, a respectful curiosity and a respect for an individual's journey and their autonomy is, is so key that mm-hmm. if we have a new vision for healthcare you know, I really see that health coaching, motivational interviewing has such a significant potential to not only impact that experience of care, but how that begins to in, in, impact um, both on costs and as well quality outcomes mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. our, our healthcare system. I mm-hmm. think there's significant potential and I'm very excited about the field and the, and the potential that lies ahead. Well, thank you. So am I. And I think that's why we we're having this conversation because we both are, are, are passionate and committed to really making a difference. And, and so I, I've been having a conversation with Jody Herford about what we called it why motivational interviewing. I think, uh, uh, I think the spirit of the conversation really got to why because we both feel that it's, it's a very positive uh, change. Uh, you've been listening to the Future of Health Coaching Online, which is our monthly conversations we have with uh, thought leaders and um, professionals who are in the field of making change. Uh, my colleague, Reggie Mara, and, and this is Joel Kreisberg, are very um, pleased that, Jody, you've taken the time to share your work with us. And thank you so much for this opportunity. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully, the listeners have, too. And thank you so much for, for the opportunity to share a little bit more about motivational interviewing. The other MI, as we like to call it. <laughs> You're very welcome. And thanks, everyone, for listening.